Okay, I have something to announce that has finally happened. I think we finally found somebody with more energy for announcements than me. I, I didn't think it was possible. I've searched the whole world over for people with more announcement energy, man. And Dino Supremo did a great job. Uh, so, hey, just as I was watching the worship team and watching Dean, I mean, <clears throat> these, you know, Dean and man, Amy up here and all the team members and Evan, who I got a privilege of going to Brazil with a bunch of years ago when he was in our high school ministry. And the tech people have been here since, like, I don't know. While I was still snoring, they were here early morning. And for all the people who are watching, the kids, so that you can be here, we, we could not do this without an incredible team of people who every week work in their job or serve their families in their house or, or at, retire. But man, they give their hours to serve the person sitting next to them or behind them or in front of them here in the blue chair, even if they don't even know that. And so, uh, yeah, you can clap for that because... <clears throat> You know, the, uh, I mean, you see, I'm the guy that's up here the most, but I promise you, I, <laughs> I know so little of what happens to this place. And if it weren't for hundreds of you, a uh, hundred of you every week, we, we couldn't do anything here. And so I'm grateful for everybody that this morning and this week has served. Uh, you're doing the work of the Lord, even if you don't know it. You are planting seeds and um, <clears throat> you are modeling what to serve the body of Christ looks like. And so I know, I know what it's like. My wife and I hosted a community group in our house for like, I think we counted the math, like 14 consecutive years. We know what it's like. <laughs> uh, and I know sometimes it's tiring, but keep pressing on because God sees what you're doing and it's not, uh, not a waste of time. And if you're not serving, don't just consume. We are not Uber Eats. We are not here to give you what you want, when you want it, how you want it. Uh, we are a body that is mutually caring for each other with our gifts, and we need every single person. This is not a spectator sport. Um, and so just <clears throat> invite you and challenge you and encourage you. If you haven't yet gotten to serve, uh, we'd love to have you be part of that. And so excited about today's sermon, excited about the barbecue bash. Woo! <clears throat> And if you're new to Calvary and you don't know what Trunk or Treat is, it's a, we're going to have probably 2,000 folks on our campus. And so all we, well, we want to do is, man, make it a great experience for people who don't know anything about Calvary Church, people who have stereotypes about Christians or what they think we are or not. We want them to come and feel like their family has a safe place where they're seen and they're cared for. And so we have rows of cars with trunks that you guys all decorate when your favorite trunk festivity thing. Some people have little games where a little kid comes and, like, throws a ball at like the person you like the least and tries to, I don't know what they do, but then you give them a piece of candy and you smile. Uh, and it's an amazing thing. And we heard a great story this week of somebody who is sitting in this room today because several years ago they came and they were like, wow. Uh, and it grabbed them. And they're here actively engaged in our body. And you're going to hear their story in a few weeks and we're excited about that. So that's what Trunk or Treat is in case you just want some context. Let me pray and we will get into the book of Revelation. Father, um, thank you for the words that we've sung. Thank you um, that you do hold us fast because you are a faithful, loving God whose mercies are new every morning. And you know what every single one of us in the room is going for. And so there's many of us who this past week we've experienced blessings from you. We've experienced blessings in our family or in our stories and relationships and our jobs. And so, Father, thank you. You're the father of all good gifts we receive. And so... For those of us who have really seen your kindness and your favor this week, we thank you. For those of us in the room who there's just anxiety and there's just worry, will you enable us through your spirit to 
trust you with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways to acknowledge you, knowing that you direct our paths. And we're thankful that you've laid out the path for us uh, in these letters to seven churches in the book of Revelation. And so, Father, we read this now and we pray that we will today receive the encouragement that can come from it and also the challenge. And may we live well for Jesus and bring glory to him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you know anything about me, you probably think one of two things. You probably think, uh, if you know me, uh, you, you, you probably think one of two things. You think, one, like, this dude is a compulsive liar, or, well, that's not a good thing to think, or you think, that poor boy is still in the process of just finding himself, right? And you think one of those two things, because if you know anything about me, I've had a ton of different jobs, right? I've told you stories before when I was cruising the streets of Bridgeport doing EMS, chasing bad guys as a parole officer, practicing law, working in barbecue restaurants, pastoring churches, right? Um, But in each of those different fields and those different careers, I guess you will, there was one thing that I knew, man, I knew that I needed to know in each of those different jobs what my boss wanted. Because in each of those different jobs, bosses have different expectations. So when I was a young kid cruising around doing EMS stuff, uh, Man, there were some paramedics that they were very particular. Some paramedics wanted you to spike the IV bag for them without them ever asking. Some paramedics wanted you to wait, and they had to ask you to spike it. Right when I was a lawyer, and you would do memos of law, and you would bill lots of money to work lots of hours doing memos of law. Some attorneys, in addition to the amazing legal document you prepare for them, some of the bosses of yours wanted you to attach the cases to it. So you'd have to Xerox all the cases. Others of you, if they gave you any cases, they would like throw it out the window. Some bosses I've had as a pastor, they wanted, they wanted any idea you had, they wanted to see it in writing. They wanted flow charts. They wanted writing. They wanted steps. Other bosses I've had as pastors, they're like, bro, you give them a piece of paper with a document on it, they're, they're like starting a campfire in their office. They don't want anything to do with it. I've worked in the restaurant industry as some part-time gigs, and I've learned that bosses there are very particular about how they want you to make the sandwiches you're making. Some bosses want you to follow one step, other bosses want you to do. In every career, in every place that I've been, I've had different bosses who have wanted me to do things different way. And part of what I've needed to know and part of what I've needed to understand to please my boss and to do well and to do the things I've wanted is I've needed to know what does my boss want so that I can accomplish that so I can be the kind of worker and the kind of employee that he wants me to be, how he thinks, what he values, what he wants to see come out of what I'm doing. And I share all that not to confirm your thoughts that either I'm a compulsive liar just making up my resume or still trying to find myself. I share all that this morning because... One thing we've seen through the book of Revelation, our first couple of chapters when we kick this thing off, is Jesus is the boss of what we're doing here. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd of every church. Jesus cares for every church. Jesus is in control of every church. And as people in a local church, it's really important for us to know and to understand what does our boss want? What does Jesus want out of our time together? What are his expectations? What does he not want us to do? What does he want us to do? What does he value? Because our desire, both individually in the blue chairs and collectively as a group, is we should be a local church here at 498 White Plains Road that wants to please and wants to honor Jesus. 
And the more we know what he wants, the more we have a target of the way in which we can please him and the way in which we can honor him. And so that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue through the book of Revelation. We are walking through this. We're going to get through the seven churches uh, <clears throat> next chapter or so. Right when we start our Christmas series, I don't know if Dean's right. I don't think the Christmas season has yet begun. <clears throat> you know, yeah, I don't know. He probably needs to pray a little more and read his Bible. And that's all right. We're all in process. But when we get to the Christmas season officially at Calvary, we're going to do a Christmas series. Uh, and then in January, we're going to resume Revelation. And then we'll be at the part that most people think about when it's the book of Revelation. The trumpets, the seals, the bowls, the dragons, the monsters, the fire, the what in the world is going on. But before we get there, we're looking at these seven letters to seven churches, real churches in that day that have implications and applications for us. And in the letter today, we're going to once again think about what does our boss want for us? How can we please him? Revelation 2, <clears throat> verses 18 through 19. Uh, Revelation 2, 18 through 29 is the text. And as we walk through this, we're going to see three things about Jesus and local churches. Three things about Jesus and local churches. So let's dive into it. And we'll start in verse 18, and we'll start thinking about the church that Jesus wrote this to. So here's what it says in verse 18. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, to the angel in the church of Thyatira, I have loved saying that word all week long. It is, say it, Thyatira. You know what? If you're grumpy, you can't be grumpy and eat ice cream. There's something about ice cream that makes you happy. Try it. Try to be grumpy and snarly and have some mocha Oreo chip, and you're like, Oh, I find the same thing to be true with the word Thyatira. <laughs> if some of you are complaining because our coffee team spilled hot coffee this morning and you're grumbling in here, Thyatira. I've literally, every chance I've said this week, what are you, Thyatira? It's just so, you're going to go home all day and be like, Thyatira, Thyatira. Here, this letter is written to a church in the city of Thyatira, and here's a few things about this church. Uh, here's a map of where it is. We're tracking our way through, and we've been to different places, and so we're here. So we've kind of started in Ephesus. We've taken our northward clockwise journey. Remember, this is like a mail route, a major trade route. And so we've hit these, and we're coming back down our loop to Thyatira. Uh, interestingly, this city was founded by one of Alexander the Great's successors. One of Alexander the Great's mentors founded that. I have no pictures of it for you. Because unlike other cities that have majestic acropolises or libraries or ruins or temples, this city didn't really have any big buildings or architecture or things like that. What it was known for, since it wasn't known for temples or libraries or big coliseums, it was known for its trade guilds, its unions, essentially, trade unions. International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, except they weren't the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. They were like the International Brotherhood and Sisterhood of Purple Cloth Sellers. So trade guilds, unions, were a big thing in the city, and the industry that a lot of people were involved in was a textile industry, a garment industry, a purple, uh, weirdly enough, uh, purple died goods. We don't exactly know how this church was founded, but we can speculate because there was a lady we've read about, you can read about in the book of Acts, named Lydia. 
Lydia was from Thyatira. Lydia was this man, amazing businesswoman. If there were Shark Tank of that day, she would have been on Shark Tank, okay? So she was a seller of these purple goods, these purple cloths. And one day she was taking her stuff down to Philippi. And this lady from Thyatira met Paul in Philippi. She converted. She went back home. Her whole family converted. And although we don't read it in the book of Acts or elsewhere, uh, it's pretty reasonable to think that, hey, you got a Christian now in this city of Thyatira who's got some influence and connections, and it's very likely that Lydia and her family were the ones that kind of started this church and planted this church and <clears throat> gathered this group home together. It's the smallest church, but interestingly, if you count the sentences, it's the longest letter. And to this church, like to every church, Jesus begins by revealing something about himself. And this is what he reveals to this church about himself as we continue in verse 18. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished brown. Eyes like the flame of fire. This is the metaphor. You remember the bionic man? Yeah, <clears throat> some of you do, right? The bionic man, eyes like fire. Old Steve Austin, he could see everything, right? There would be like a pigeon 27 miles away, and he'd be like, or maybe his eye went, I don't remember what it did, right? But he could see everything, everywhere. This idea of having eyes like fire is a metaphor to say, hey, one of the attributes, one of the things about Jesus is that Jesus sees everything. Jesus <clears throat> sees everything. And for this church, the significance in this time and in this time is that if Jesus sees everything, that that means that Jesus sees everything that's going on in churches. He saw everything that was going on in the seven churches that he wrote that was written to. He sees everything that's going on in local churches around the world today. He sees everything that's going on in our church, and he sees everything that's going on in the lives of the people within our church. Jesus sees, with these eyes like fire, what it's conveying is he sees the heart of a church. He sees the heart of a church, and he sees the hearts of the people who attend that church. Jesus makes clear that that's what's trying to be conveyed here later because in verse 23, I don't know if I put it up there, but I don't think I did. Here's what he says in verse 23. I will strike her children dead and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. I am he who searches mind and heart. I am he who looks into the mind and the heart of everybody in every church and knows what's going on. Here's the first thing we need to know about our boss this morning. The first attribute, the first characteristic is that Jesus sees things in churches as they really are. Jesus sees things in churches as they really are. So how does that impact us today? How does that impact local churches today? How does that impact Calvary Church today? Well, there's some corporate implications for all of us as a group, and then there's some individual implications that flow from this. And first of all, I think the corporate significance for churches around the world this morning, um, you know, churches, uh, I've done this gig enough, churches can have the appearance 
of all sorts of activity and all sorts of success and all sorts of energy and, and man, activity and buzz and swirl. But it's a, easy a lot of times to have a lot of energy and movement and activity and busyness in a church, but not actually have a heart for Jesus underneath all of that stuff in a church. It's easy to be busy but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's a heart underneath that activity that is for Jesus. And if in a church, if a church is busy and a church is glossy and a church is, is active and churning, but if at the heart of it, the heart of all of that is not for the glory of Jesus, Jesus sees that and Jesus knows that. And on the flip side, man, there, you can have churches... Uh, Throughout the world, compared to the number of churches and the size of churches, we're a mega church compared to the average church in the world and even the country. And, you know, there are many uh, churches that are not in uh, magazines being recognized as the fastest growing church in America. There are many churches around the country that are not having their pastors on Instagram because they have, like, the following of 42 billion people. Um, they don't have a glossy show. They don't have a big crowd. But you know what? The heart of those people is to be faithful to Jesus. And they strive to richly honor and glorify Jesus. And Jesus sees that. Je Jesus isn't distracted by the sales pitch. Jesus sees the heart of churches. And Jesus sees the heart of the people in those churches. That's kind of the significance for churches corporately of that. But then it really gets down to the heart of people in those churches. Because here's why, too. I can come in here. You can come in here on a Sunday morning, have your Bible, and you can fool us. You can talk the talk. I can talk the talk. I can praise Jesus, yes, brother, glory to God. Oh, I had a great time reading my Bible this morning or yesterday. Right? You, you can come in here and you can dress yourself up and you can have an amazing veneer and fool us all. But you can't fool Jesus because he sees things as they really are. Some of you, maybe you're trying to fool us, but you're not fooling Jesus. There, there, there's some encouragement on the flip side of this, too, because as wonderful as churches can be, and they can be wonderful. Uh, I was excited to come here this morning and see you guys. I know the feel, feeling isn't necessarily mutual, but uh, I was excited to come here and be here, right? And churches can be amazing, rich things, but at the same time, probably because they can be so rich and beautiful, they can be hard. And there can be relationships that have meaning and significance and value for years, and then something can happen, and there can be a rift. And when the rift occurs in people you care about deeply and in something you care about deeply, I think it just makes that tension and that friction and that lack of restoration even more palatable and knowledgeable. And maybe you've come in here this morning, and there's somebody else who's part of our church body or another Christian and they've just, man, they've just falsely questioned your heart. Falsely questioned your heart. Or they've misconstrued your motives. Or they've been thinking something about you that doesn't reflect the way that things really are. And you're hurt. 
and you're hurt and you're beat up and you're still coming, but you're like, it's not fair, but you realize there's no point in trying to defend yourself. I think a lot of times in relationships, uh, the hard thing is we don't get to defend ourselves, right? Sometimes in relationships. And maybe there's some of you this morning that that's where you find yourself. There's been something happened in a relationship with somebody here at Calvary Church, or there's something happened in a relationship with another Christian, and they're attacking your motives, they're attacking your heart, they're attacking your desires, and it's not fair, and it's not true, and it's not accurate, but you've chosen that it's better not to defend yourself, and you're discouraged, and you're beat up, and you feel like nobody knows the truth, but let me just encourage you, there is somebody who knows the truth, and Jesus knows the truth. And Jesus knows your heart, and Jesus knows your story. And even if those other people don't, and even if we don't, Jesus knows the way that things really are. So you can trust Jesus. little footnote on that. I, man, and I, um, I've done this long enough. There's lots of things that decisions I make that people don't agree with. And that's fine. I mean, that's part of the gig, right? That's what I signed up for. That's what I get free coffee every Sunday for as part of my perks. It's an amazing perk. Too bad you don't get free coffee. That's just something the HR team gave to me. So, you know, you're lost. Um, but one of the hardest things, if, if people disagree with my decision, I'm okay. That's life. But what, what, what really hurts me is when they attribute a heart motive behind that decision that's not fair. And that's probably just not my story. That's probably some of your stories. And you've been beat up a little bit. And Jesus sees things. And Jesus knows the way they really are. And trust him. There are moments in life where we have to say, I'm going to leave it to Jesus to defend my reputation. Let's write that down for a rainy day. Because there will be some moments in your life and in your story where there is no upside to you trying to untangle everything to defend your reputation. But trust Jesus to defend you because he knows the truth. There is another thing that Jesus says about, and he moves in kind of the same pattern, um, about what he appreciates about this church in Thyatira. He's like, he starts off by saying, look, I've seen everything. I see what's going on in all these local churches. And Thyatira, I've seen, Thyatira, I've seen what's going on in your church. And I've seen the good things that you're doing. And that's what he kind of says next about what he appreciates in this church. Verse 19, uh, he says, I know your works your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. What a lot of commentators think is this word works is like the broad uh, category for all of this. And so the specific things that he's seen is their works are their love, their faith, their service, their endurance, and that what they are doing now has increased and grown beyond what they started doing. Love is this idea that he looks at this church in Thyatira and it's the love that that body has for one another and for God. There is a richness in that church of loving each other and loving God. Faith is this idea of faithfulness. Faithfulness. Interestingly, we don't necessarily see the issue that these guys are being talked about as being persecution, but in their culture, in their community, right, a lot of these people are just faithful. Ordinary, normal, nine to five people trying to pay their bills, having a cup of coffee a few times a day, but faithful in their obedience and in their walk with Jesus day after day after day after day, just faithful in the ordinary moments of life. Faithfulness. 
And then from their love for each other and their love for God and from their faithfulness comes this service, right? Like, man, flowing out of that, you guys have been serving one another and you've been serving God and you've been serving your community and you have been enduring. And then this is the great line. And you're not done. There's no like period there. Boop. Is what it's saying is, and that your latter works exceed the first. You started off doing these things really well, but month after month, year after year, you guys just keep building upon it. What your, your love for each other and your faithfulness and your service, it is a rich foundation. And you guys didn't call a time out. What you guys have done, Thyatira, is you've just kept building upon that. And so what you're doing now, how you're living now, how you're loving well, how you're serving now is richer and more meaningful than where it was back then. And he's saying, man, that's great. Those things are important. Those things are what I want local churches to be doing. Second thing we see about our boss, second thing we see about the ultimate pastor of this church is that Jesus values churches that are loving, faithful, serving, and progressively continuing in those things. Jesus values Jesus sees success in a church that is doing these things. They're loving, they're faithful, they're serving, and they're progressively continuing in those things. So Calvary, we are not perfect. We got things we get to work on. But Calvary, I think it's important sometimes, hey, let's affirm some of the amazing ways that you have demonstrated that in our community and to one another, right? Because Calvary, if Jesus was to look at this, some of the things, many of the things that you guys have done are these things, and they're good things, and they're rich things, and they're meaningful things. We have a group of you who have said, hey, when somebody needs a meal, we want to make a meal for somebody. Now, that is an addition. We have community groups, and community groups are kind of the first SWAT team of care. And so if you're in a community group, I know a bunch of y'all have like, you've made meals for the people in your community groups. But in addition to that, we've got this meal team that's like the over and above, like, hey, we need help because these people aren't a community group. You, got the, you, Calvary, have made over the past several months 61 meals for people who have had meals. 347 cards have been sent by a group of people who are like, man, if there's somebody who is a college student or a missionary or just somebody in our church that's going through a hard time, I want to send them a note. And you have sent notes of encouragement and affirmation to 347 people associated with Calvary Church to try to show them love and to try to show them care. Shut-ins who can't come in who love this place, you've reached out to through cards. In terms of growing in your faithfulness and progressively maturing in Jesus, over half of you stick around after this on average for our discipleship groups because you're like, man, I want to continue in community, right? I need to continue to grow and continue to grow as a disciple. And I want the content and I want the life on life to shape that. Last week we had the opportunity, I should have made a slide. A good pastor would have had a slide for you. Um, Last week, you had the opportunity to say, man, we've heard about different partnerships around the world, and you had a chance to partner with an organization that we partner with called India Gospel League. And because of you and what you've done here, Calvary, people of Calvary, some of the way that you've shown your love, your faith, your service, is that 55 kids in Indian villages now are going to be able to go to a Bible club for a year. Because of what you have done, 
55 kids in remote villages of India are going to essentially get to experience what we try to provide to our kids, age-appropriate discipleship about Jesus for one year. You've purchased eight Bibles for people. There's been one nurse that's been sponsored to go through some training and get textbooks that's necessary. Two pastors have been given bikes because of your work, and you've gotten churches who don't have instruments to worship Jesus to instruments. Just a few of the many ways that you, Calvary, we, Calvary, you've given of your time, you've given of your energy, you've given of your resources because you said, you know what, I have an opportunity to love somebody, to serve somebody, to be faithful to Jesus, and I don't want to stop. I may have done something like that 15 years ago, but hey, you're not sitting on the bench waiting to get called up to varsity. You're in the game. Too many of us as Christians put ourselves in the bench waiting to get called up. We're like, yeah, I played some ball back in the day. I don't play basketball anymore because I'm old. I'll still whoop any one of you one time, right? It's like that Toby Keith song. I don't even remember what it is. But I, one more time, I will give you chaos on the basketball court until I, until I pretend to bust an ankle and say, and I'll do that when I'm winning, right? So I'll probably try to get one quick layup in and then be like, oh, my Achilles, right? But man, some of us as Christians, I used to play ball all the time in the day. I don't do it anymore. Some of us as Christians, that's what we do. We said, well, back in the day, man, I was active. Back in the day, VBS every summer, this every summer, and so I've done my time. No, no. This isn't about playing one game and sitting on the bench until Jesus calls us up to the game in heaven. This is about actively building upon it. And the cool thing to see here is that, guys, you're responding. And you're finding, and the stories we could tell individually, if we pass the mic, I bet the stories of how people have cared for each other here that we don't even know about would be overwhelming. And so thank you. Because Jesus sees what you're doing, and Jesus knows that the, the work is not done. And so we got to make sure we're engaged and we're back and we're continuing to build upon what we're doing. There's still opportunities for you to help with India Gospel League. There's a um, <clears throat> table up there just as a follow-up from last week in case some of you weren't here. If you still want to provide some tangible things for some kids or some pastors or some churches, some brothers and sisters in Jesus in India. There's ways to do that. If you want to progressively, right, progressively continue in your maturity as a Christian, and if one of the ways you want to do that is through baptism, because you haven't yet been baptized and you believe in Jesus, we're going to have a baptism on November 20th. We're going to wrap it into our Thanksgiving service, because every year around Thanksgiving, we think about what we're thankful for. And man, we are thankful about life change. We're thankful about stories. We're thankful about the little babies that are going to be dedicated here as Calvary. I had this chance this week to tell somebody that literally whenever a little baby cries into this service, I told this person, I love that. It really is a, awesome. Like if you're a parent and you're worried because your baby's like, Meh! I've had four kids, I literally don't even hear it. I don't. I, well, sometimes I hear it. Largely, I, it's like, you know what it is? It's like white noise for me. It helps soothe me. And Here's the deal. If you're at church and there's no babies crying, you got to get a little worried. There's no babies crying. Oh, the babies that are part of a church body, that are the next generation of believers and those young families and the noise and the life and the vitality, that is a blessing from the Lord. And so we get to celebrate some of those babies and toddlers in a dedication as well. And so if you want to be baptized, as we're going to dedicate some babies and uh, baptize folks November 20th, there's a class next week. So there's information, but if you want to take a stand and progressively grow, I'd encourage you to do that. So two opportunities to keep building on these things. But the chapter continues. 
And the chapter continues because even though this was true, there's some things going on in that church that were not good. There's some things going on, a very, very small percentage going on that was not good. And what Jesus knows is that a smallest bit of dysfunction and problem in a church over time can end up ruining that whole church. And so there's some things that Jesus wants to nip in the bud and to address. And so he now moves into what the problem is in that church. Verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idolatry. The big idea in that verse is that there's somebody in that church who is doing some sort of teaching or some sort of leadership or some sort of something that is causing other people in that church to compromise. And so here's kind of what the thought is that's going on. This person in the church is referred to as Jezebel. Or Jezebel. Most scholars think the person's name actually wasn't Jezebel. Jezebel was a character in the Old Testament who ended up causing all sorts of compromise and chaos in the nation of Israel and all sorts of problems. And so most commentators think that, well, because this one person is having that same effect and impact, it's just like they're just calling them a Jezebel, right? Um, but what this person is doing has to do with those trade unions, has to do with those trade guilds. So, like we said, there were trade unions in that community, trade guilds in that community. And what was going on is when you participated in that trade guild or trade union, you would often participate in the activities that went along in the union. I, back in the day, uh, I'm a member of the Florida Bar. I have been to way too many Florida bar luncheons. I am a member of the Chester Bedell Inn of Court in the Northern District of Florida. I have been to way too many in a court meetings. If you know anything about the legal field, here's what happens at in a court meetings and bar luncheons. You put on your little suit, you go to some poorly lit hotel lobby, and there's a room full of lawyers. I know, it is like, you're thinking like purgatory. I know. <clears throat> there's a room full of lawyers. There's, you know, sometimes it's a cocktail party after hours. Sometimes it's a luncheon. And the same thing, but when you go, you participate in the activities of that day. The activities of that day are meaningless schmoozing, trying to brown nose judges, trying to connect with other people so maybe somebody will hire you to your, their firm so you'll make more money, and a really, really boring speaker talking about something legal that's looks like snooze fest. Okay? When you go to these activities and you're part of those organizations, you participate in the activities of that organization. Well, if you were part of the trade union or trade guild in Thyatira, you would not be participating in a cocktail party with a bunch of lawyers hearing other boring lawyers give speeches, trying to brown nose, trying to connect, trying to network. What you would participate in as part of the activities of that union were part of what they did is they would have this time where they would worship different gods. And part of the activities, like instead of going to the Florida Bar weekend down to go tour the Supreme Court, they would have a trade guild weekend of idol worship and sexual immorality that would go along with that. So part of getting into the trade union meant you had the opportunity to participate in the activities of the trade union, and many of the activities in the trade union involved the worship of other gods and sexual practices that came along with other gods. And what was going on in Thyatira was there was this person who was saying, hey, Christians, 
Christians, it is fine to participate. Go, go be a member of the trade union. Pay your $75 a year dues. Get your little patch on your little jacket. It's fine to be a member of the trade union, and it's also fine for you to engage in all of the activities that come along with that trade union. But the problem was that the activities that came along with participation in that trade union were activities that didn't align with what God said Christians should be doing as part of their activities. And the result was because of this person's teaching, many Christians were like, boom, trade guild. And not only trade guild, boom, everything that comes along with it, I'm going to go headfirst into because this person who was my Sunday school teacher told me it was okay. Because this person who is a leader in the church and been given a platform in the church told me it was okay to do that. And so I'm going to go along with the, not just participation in the organization, but participation in all of the events that flow from my participation in the organization, many of which don't align with what Jesus wants me to do. And there was compromise. And there was compromise. Here's, and Jesus says, hey, Thyatira, it's great that you're doing good things. It's great you got a legacy. It's great you're building upon it. It's great that you're caring for each other and loving each other and serving the community. But what's not great is the compromise that you've allowed one Sunday school teacher, one community group teacher, one teaching pastor to start to promote. Here's the third principle. Jesus does not want churches to tolerate, tolerate teaching that promotes compromise and actions. Jesus does not want churches to tolerate teaching that promotes compromise and action. And there's a huge dovetail to what we talked about two weeks ago with this idea of truth. I think that was two weeks ago. Truth. And, and Jesus a few weeks ago said, man, you've got to cling to truth as a church. And now what he's saying is, hey, and you can't let untruth lead to compromised action. Compromised thought leads to compromised actions. And the criticism of this particular church is we see it in verse 20 that you're tolerating it. Leaders of the church, you're tolerating it. 20, but I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who's doing all of this teaching. And then what Jesus says is, hey, there's going to be consequences for her teaching and for what she's doing. And we see that in the remainder of the verse, largely. I gave her time to repent but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. That's really an interesting, this is a footnote. It's not in my notes, but it's true. Uh, the thought is, man, that's a little bit of a by Jesus. Because he's like, man, old girl likes to roll around the bed with all sorts of sexual morality. I'm going to put her on a bed. But it's going to be a bed of sickness. I will throw her in her sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation unless... They repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. I'll just read it and then come back to it. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of them according to their works. Now, children, it doesn't seem to be physical children. What this seems to be is that like spiritual children, everybody who's buying into her teaching and doing it and compromising, that they're going to suffer the consequences as well. What Jesus is saying is, look, you guys have tolerated untrue teaching that has led to compromise in a small section of your church. And leaders of Thyatira, maybe all are willing to tolerate it, but Jesus says, I'm not. I'm not. Because Jesus does not want churches to tolerate teaching that promotes compromise. Why? Why doesn't he want that? Why is that a big deal to him? 
because it's a little bit like, as I've already told, I've told you two things. Whenever my time here at Calvary's gone, I hope you remember a few things from me. The 1980s were the best generation ever. <laughs> and a 2001 Toyota 4Runner is the best vehicle ever made. I have my 2001 Toyota 4Runner. Unfortunately, my 2001 Toyota 4Runner has spent a little too much time on flatbed trucks going to the mechanic recently. The other day, Casey and I were at a estate sale working on my amazing eBay side hustle. I make like $2 a month on eBay. I am killing it, right? It's amazing. And we pull out of this thing and the car just dies. And I'm like, huh, it's not good. Pushing it, very kind people from Calvary come, help give us cars, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so, but here's the problem with my 2001 uh, Toyota 4Runner. My 2001 Toyota 4Runner, hypothetically, there's this little place where my shock absorber or strut connects to the frame. But I guess that's rotted away on the frame. And so it rotted away and it rusted. And when it rotted away and rusted, over time, that strut started to kind of hit some other things whenever I hit a bump. I guess that's not supposed to happen. I guess one thing it hit was my gas tank. So I'd always smell, <laughs> when your children would get into my Toyota 4Runner and drive with me, I'd smell this aroma of gas and I'd think, this is, <laughs> this is what I thought. What a smell of a classic vehicle. I did. I li that is literally true. That's not being funny. I literally would think, oh, it's so charming that these old cars, you can smell the gas. The reason I could smell the gas is because the shock had rotted away from the frame. It was hitting my gas tank, and my gas tank was leaking. Guess you don't want a gas tank leaking. And then what would happen is when this thing would sway because it was rotted away, this is actually kind of fascinating. It would hit this fuel pump wire that's connected there, and every time the metal hit the wire, the car would stop. That's why my Toyota 4Runner, the best vehicle ever made, didn't work, because it had some rot in it. Because part of the frame was cut. And don't worry, I'm fixing it. I'm doing it. I'm spending $40,000 to fix that car, man. <laughs> That, it is like the biotic man, better, stronger, faster than it's ever been before. So, but here's the big deal, right? The, the rot of the frame caused some things to happen, and the car didn't work this way it was supposed to work because part of the car was compromised, because part of the car was not strong. Part of the car was not what it was intended to be, and that caused the entire car not to work the way that it was supposed to work. And when a church starts to rot with compromise. Over time, that rust and that rot will spread of the compromise and it will break things and impact things and over time it will cause the church to stop working the way it's supposed to work. What is a church supposed to do? We saw that the very first week or so in Revelation 1, right? There's this image, this metaphor about how Jesus compares churches to lamps. And you can pop the slide and it says this, right? The mystery of the seven stars you saw on my right hand, the seven golden lampstands. The lampstands are the seven churches. We talked about this week one. Part of the function of a church is to be a light in a community, a light in a community that shines brightly for the truth of God and for the love of God. That is what the church is supposed to do. However, when that church gets compromised, when there's some rot of untrue teaching and compromised actions that come into that church, man, over time it causes that light to diminish. And it doesn't enable the church to function the way the church was supposed to function. What we said the first week is that God has put local churches all around the world, and he said to that local church, I am putting you in charge 
You take care of this portion of my kingdom. You are the light to reflect truth and love in this portion of my kingdom. You are to serve. You are to care. I am entrusting that work to you. Don't drop the ball. But compromise causes rot, and rot causes dysfunction, and that dysfunction over time causes the church not to be what God wants it to be. And interestingly, in the first chapters of Revelation, it talks about God saying to some churches, hey, y'all, I'm going to remove your lamp because you failed. I'm going to remove your lamp. Compromise keeps things in churches from being the way it's supposed to be, just like compromise impacted my foreigner being the way it's supposed to be. So what's the solution? Jesus tells the solution to two different groups, to the group of people who've compromised He tells them what to do, and to those who didn't compromise, he tells them what to do. Here's what he says to those who have compromised. We've already read it, but again, in verse 22. Behold, hey, I'm going to deal with this false teacher. And and Jesus says, and I'm also going to deal with those who commit adultery with her. I will throw them into great tribulation unless, right, unless. Take, man, I wish I had a Sharpie. Unless they repent. Hey, y'all have bought into this false teaching. Y'all have compromised because of it. I don't want that to happen. There will be consequences. And so if that's your part of the story, what Jesus is telling you, the church in Thyatira, hey, y'all need to repent. Y'all need to repent. Are you compromised this morning? Are you partic- are, let's get on the point of this. Are you participating in some organization, some group, some something? And as part of what that group or that organization or that something done is activities that are not the type of activities that God wants you to be involved with, and you're just going with the flow. Is that your story? Look, back when people used to get on airplanes and fly to things when they were in corporate America, I did that. I spent almost a full year zipping between, all over the place for a big case for Anheuser-Busch. And I, I know what happens when people travel. Right? I had some very good friends at the law firm at which I worked, but we were in different places in our story and in our convictions. So I'd be the guy that'd go out and hang out with them at the hotel bar and grab a burger and whatever, and then, you know what? I went back and watched SportsCenter. And then they didn't just have one beer. They had one beer that turned into 12 beers that turned into, hey, let's go zip around in some other organizations of this town or not the type of places we should be in, all which flowed into just participating in a business trip. I didn't do that. And some weird way I wasn't able to navigate that so they didn't think I was a church dude. They're just like, we know old dude's not going to do it. That's cool. It worked, right? But I know what it's like to be in an organization or be in an event or be in a moment where there's things that go along with that moment that are not the type of things that Jesus wants you to do. And you got to say no. Check, please. I loved my cheeseburger. I loved my cheeseburger medium rare with some fries and you know, ketchup, lettuce, a little bit of mayonnaise, and I've enjoyed my moments with you guys, and you guys go do whatever you're going to do, but I'm going to go back and catch the end of the game in Sports Center. Well, why? This is just what we do. I, there's all sorts of moments where you will be asked to participate in something, and there will be something that goes along with your participation in that thing that is not the type of thing God wants you to do. And the question is, what are you going to do in that moment? Are you engaged in an organization or an activity or a group and flowing out of that participation in that are activities that God doesn't want you to do that you're just ice skating towards? Sports teams, locker rooms. I mean, we could go on forever. Playdates as moms. 
There are a lot of dysfunction and a lot of unkind things that happens potentially when moms get strollers and go to the park and start talking about other moms or start talking about their husbands. Guys, when you're playing golf, that is not the time to bash your wife. Happens all the time. I'm like, what do you got? You're knuckleheads. Happens all, and some of you know that because you do that. You get in the golf cart with your boys, you have your little cold beer about 3.30, and then it's time to let's just make fun of our wife now that we've rounded them onto the back nine. Come on. I, we could go on for hours with hypotheticals. I don't know what it is, but the question is, in that church, they are participating in unions, and because of their participation in the union, they participate in all sorts of things. And Jesus says, participation in the union? Okay, probably not bad. Participation in all these things? No. What's your story? Have you moved from participating in an organization and participating in wrong things that flow from that? And Jesus is saying to you today, hey, stop. Stop. What about those people who haven't compromised? What does Jesus say to them in verse 24? But, and we'll read to the end, to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. Isn't that true? Oh, man, another. That's a sermon itself. The deep things of Satan. The idea is that this teacher was saying, hey, I'm going to teach you what's really deep. I'm going to teach you what the Bible really says, right? Whenever anybody comes up to you and claims to have some perspective that nobody's had in 2022 years of Christianity, you better be just like, mm, no, thank you. You haven't participated in the deep things of uh, Satan. Where am I? I've lost myself in my amazing little excursion I just took. To you, I say, do not, I don't lay on you any other burden. Verse 25, and this is it. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. Hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers, now he talks about rewards, and keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. Interestingly, how well we steward this moment of taking care of where God's given us and the world around us is going to be linked with our opportunity in eternity to steward God's kingdom in that place, right? To you who persevere, I'll give you authority over the nations, and you will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen parts are broken. Even myself has received authority, and I will give you the morning star, meaning the relationship with Jesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to his churches, but here's what he's saying to those people who haven't compromised. Hey, hey, hold fast. Hold fast. Endure. Endure. Some of your translations may say, stand strong in the face of great opposition. Hold fast. You know what's sad about this church? They didn't do it. They have a letter from an apostle of Jesus providing to them the inspired words of Jesus that says, hey, y'all got some rot on your frame. You got to deal with it. And listen, all the rest of the vast amount of you who haven't had any compromise, that's amazing. Hold fast. Keep pressing on. Keep doing it. But you know what? They didn't. They didn't. History shows that in just a few short years, this church was taken over by heresy. Heresy ran through this church. And by the end of the second century, if you went on a day trip to Thyatira and you wanted to catch one of their weekend services at the church of Thyatira, you wouldn't be able to because it was out of business. It was out of business, gone, closed down, overcome by false teaching, didn't hold fast. I'll invite the worship team to come up here and um, <clears throat> then I will jump up, Amy, after that to tell us how to set up chairs and all that. But Calvary, 
That's a challenge to us. A challenge to us. We, we don't want to be known as the church that, yeah, they had a great legacy, but man, they didn't hold fast. They allowed false teaching. They allowed untruth. They allowed compromise. They didn't stay on mission. And so eventually I went to Trumbull, Connecticut, and I got a bacon, egg, and cheese, and I was going to go worship at Calvary Church, but they had closed down because false teaching had infiltrated the place, and they didn't keep shining brightly as a light. We don't want that to be our legacy. We don't want that to be a legacy. And I can assure you of one thing, that as long as I'm the guy in the pulpit, whenever I'm not, I know the elders and the leadership and the commitment will be the same for the next guy as it has been for the eight or so pastors that have preceded me. The one thing, we're ne- we might have the stage look different. We may- Who knows? In two years, I may be up here in a tuxedo preaching because it's a thing, right? Clothing trends change. Worship styles change. Lighting changes, instrumentation changes, bringing coffee into our church, not bringing coffee, using a hard copy bulletin, not hard copy bulletin, things on the screen, not things on the chair. All sorts of those external things change, but the one thing that has never changed in this place for 130 plus years is this. And the one thing that will never, ever, ever change in this place for the next 130 years is this. This is the foundation. This is what we gather and unite around the work of Jesus who died for every single one of us that has revealed that story and the story of God rescuing us, revealed in this book, and who he is and how we respond to him out of gratitude is what this story is about. And we are committed to this and we are anchored to this and we are not going to compromise on this. This is what's our foundation. And guys, we have an amazing opportunity when so much of this is under fire. And many times under fire by people who don't even know what it says. And we have an opportunity to shine brightly as lights in Ansonia and at Trumbull High and at Massac and at Bridgeport Hospital and St. Vincent's and on the train to Grand Central in Manhattan and on your soccer team and on your track team and in your play group and on your mom's night out and on the golf course, we have an amazing opportunity to continue to shine the hope of Jesus and truth where we are. We are not just here to get a better kitchen that's renovated. We aren't. We are not just here to try to keep up with the latest fashion trends from Banana Republic. We are not here to get into the best caliber college you can get because that's all you care about. If that's what you're spending your life on, you're wasting it. Is there anything wrong with a nice kitchen? No. Is there anything wrong with a great college? No. Is there anything wrong with Banana Republic clothes? No, because I wear them, okay? (laughs) What is wrong is when those things become the most important thing. When those are wrong is when those things become the ultimate thing. And the ultimate thing is a God of the universe who rescued you and said, hey, I want to engage you in my plan to rescue other people. So get on it. Get on it. And let's not put ourselves in the bench. Hold fast. We're going to worship together. We're going to affirm our need for Jesus to do this. Man, just to continue to navigate the anxieties in our own life and the stress of our own life and continue to depend upon him to let us have those opportunities to serve him well in the places in which we find ourselves. So let's sing, and then I'll get up and tell us what we need to do uh, to serve one another before we head to discipleship classes.